This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guest this week is Joe Lucas, interior designer and founder of the beloved showroom Harbinger. Joe began his career working for Michael Smith, but quickly built his own business, which has evolved to include multi-line showrooms in New York and Los Angeles. On either coast, Joe has his finger on the pulse of what's happening in the design world. We talked about the tension between street-level shops and the design center in L.A., the prevalence of lookalikes and knockoffs in the industry today, and why he believes multi-line showrooms will always have a role to play. This podcast was sponsored by The Shade Store. The Shade Store offers designers everywhere a simplified resource for premium, handcrafted custom window treatments. With a team of dedicated design consultants available to guide you through the selection process, measure and install professionals to ensure the perfect fit, and more than 95 showrooms nationwide, the Shade Store has everything you need to design the most beautiful shades, blinds, and drapery for your clients. Designers receive special discounts starting at 20%, and trade exclusive access to the Shade Store's industry-leading COM program, which gives you the freedom to use the fabrics and trims you want on Roman shades, drapery, and cornices. Combined with their exclusive collection of more than 1,300 in-stock materials, the creative possibilities are virtually endless. The Shade Store. Custom made simple. Visit theshadestore.com slash trade today to learn more. This podcast is also sponsored by Universal Furniture. Designers already rely on Universal's incredible selection. Now they can take advantage of an all-new special upholstery program. It's bench-made upholstery, crafted in North Carolina, available in just six to eight weeks. With more than 400 fabrics, 50 leathers, and 200 frames, the creative possibilities are limitless. And online tools allow you to create visualizations to share with clients. As always, designers receive special perks working with Universal. There's no order minimum, free shipping, online ordering, and dedicated custom support through the design line. Save 20% off your first order of $2,000 or more by using the code TRADEFALL20. That's TRADEFALL20 at universalfurniture.com. And now, on with the show. So, Joe, uh, tell tell me quickly uh, about the, the the scene right now in in California. When we were sort of almost talking to each other the other day, ash was falling from uh, the sky and fires. And I mean, tell me tell me what the scene is on the ground. It is it's crazy. It seems a little bit better. I mean, L.A. We've been a little luckier than Northern California and Oregon and Washington. They're really hit hard right now but um it's almost worse that it's cleared up a little bit and you can start to see blue skies because then you feel like it's safer to be outside you're not in that like automatic oh this is really bad we need to stay inside now we're like out there but of course you're still breathing it in and you know the weird like apricot we already have this apricot light in california always uh always credit michael smith when i was working for him for teaching me that the the difference between East Coast and West Coast light was it's a blue light on the East Coast and it's a, more of an apricot light on the West Coast. Uh, but the next the last two weeks it's fully been this weird, eerie, 
like orangey wake up in the morning and like walk through the house and just the color that's like hitting all of your art and furniture is a totally different color than normal it's bad so it's just one thing i you know here we were locked down then we finally get to go outside we finally get to like eat outside because that's the only place we can eat because we can't eat in the indoor restaurants and now we can't even go to the restaurants to eat uh because you're breathing it in so now we're like trapped back inside uh eating on our ikea uh tv tables uh <laughs> that we use every single night. We're, re- we're really excited here at the Lucas Psycho household. <laughs> we're two, two old men who act even older than we are. <laughs> two old men eating just, on their yeah, TV tables. Just yelling at the TV. <laughs> ah, damn it. With our, te- with our teeth in our, gla- in our martini glass. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, and, and, Things things were starting to sort of reopen. I know that I know the PDC is still not open, right? To, Te- to people, it's technically, sort of a... technically okay. they're not, but they are. Uh, okay. I, I was in the other day uh, to grab some fabrics and stuff, so they they definitely are open. I think they're just not really publicly allowed to be. I don't. I, I'm not sure <laughs> okay. how. Not sure okay. how Mr. Cohen works it. Uh, yeah. I think technically they're they're considered a mall by the city of West Hollywood. So when we went back to phase two, they got shut down again, but I think it's sort of appointment only. Um, but the shops on La Cienega and every, the rest of retail is open. Most places are appointment only. We're appointment only at Harbinger, both in New York and LA. Yeah. We're just trying to be as careful as we can be. No, 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 of, of of course. And you know, we should we should point out for listeners who might not be familiar. So so Harbinger is is your is your showroom in L.A. and in New York. And I want to I'm going to jump around a little bit because yeah. I want you to tell us the the, the history of all of that. Uh, and you also referenced earlier your your former boss Michael Michael Smith. And I I want to. Maybe we should maybe we should go back and and sort of tell everyone the the whole story of of Jersey boy Joe Lucas coming Jersey to... Jersey Joe <laughs> Jersey Joe coming to Hollywood. I, I feel with like a if dream. this was on if this was on TV, it would have like the wavy lines on the TV going back as we go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, take us back, take us back. Yes. Oh, um, am I blonde again? Are we going back that far back? Where I'm well, you tell me. Head? I mean, oh, uh, I wish. God, what I'm was the look? It was it was a lot of mattress and blonde hair. Uh, I was and before it it never really went brown. It just went blonde to gray, and now it's just all gray. Um, but yeah, grew, grew up in Jersey and school back there and college in Connecticut at Connecticut College uh, before I headed west after graduation. With it, with a dream, really. Uh... T- tell us what you what you were really hoping. Uh, the dream the dream was acting. Uh, that right. was all. That was my studies all through school. Um, I did not go to design school, uh, as many can probably see from my designs. Um, <laughs> that's that's uh, not true. But go no, ahead. No, no, um, but no. I was uh, I was an actor back in the day, um, and did that for several years. And then, as a side job for that, I fell into the design world working for um, a designer named Claudia Benvenuto, who had a beautiful uh, antique shop uh, called The Fainting Couch, which if you're old school LA, uh, you are familiar with. It was a very chic 
chic shop that um, started small, just like Harbinger did, and then sort of grew a little bit bigger and bigger. And she started doing a much more uh, large reproduction line. And uh, I sort of was working in the shop with her and uh, got to work on some of her design projects as well. Um, So it was very fun and did that. And then after I uh, left working with her, I started doing, you know, small, I was trying to go back to the acting for a little bit before I finally gave it up. And that was the, I think every designer start where, where you're sort of doing it on the side, but sort of not. And you're helping your friend with finding the sofa for their living room. And then you're helping another friend redo a bathroom and, uh, you know, not making a dime on any of it. Um, and, uh, so I was doing that and then got the opportunity to go and work for Michael, uh, Smith, uh, when two of his senior designers, uh, were leaving, um, and they needed to replace those. So I, I was hired and then Paris Chilcote was also hired almost like the same week. And we worked there for three years and then actually Parrish and I ended up going off on our own and starting Lucas studio, uh, which is my design firm. And we were together as partners for about 10 years. And, uh, and then she went off and did uh, her own, which is Cameron design group. And I still have Lucas studio. And during that time is when we started Harbinger as sort of a little, side gig um that then took on its own life right right well and and so before we just sort of gloss over working with michael smith for several years uh, oh yeah who is he again yeah (laughs) his name seems so familiar it sounds familiar he does those t-shirts right or is he the uh, there's the t-shirt guy and then there's also like a christian singer and we loved making we loved making sure that like he knew that people were confused about it he'd be like stop it i'm not the christian singer uh we're like are you sure the time that we were there i feel like our three years was a really tight group um there was a little bit of changeover right as i came in um and during that time and by the time i left we had I would say about 10 senior designers and a handful of junior designers. And uh, we were one big, crazy, happy family. You know, the setup is like this giant bullpen of desks. So you're on top of each other. It's almost like the, uh, the stock market on the floor of the stock market, but for, (laughs) but for interior designers. So like a really gay version of the stock market. Um, Imagine a bunch of gay floor traders running around and some tough, some tough ladies mixed in there, all yelling at each other, all screaming at the top of their lungs on their phones, uh, you know, yelling at, yelling at the carpenters. Why isn't my table ready? Why is my, where's my sofa? I love this image. This is, how i want to imagine it really yes it was very funny it was a little (laughs) bit of nine to five like dolly but there was a dolly parton there was i actually joked and i started to write a treatment which is a very la term (laughs) um, for a treatment for a sitcom based on an interior designer's office because we had when i started looking around i was like oh my god this is like the full cast of characters we've got everybody we had the perfect thing we had all the different designers we had like 
uh, my dear friend Rajai, who who I know you know, who is like the crazy Palestinian, <laughs> uh, who had to make sure that every uh, section, every like PO proposal and stuff had a pink piece of paper stapled just so on the back of his thing, so that he could write the notes, and it had to be pink paper because he liked pink. Yeah, it was it was a funny group. Um, and well, and whatever happened to the treatment? I'll... And and do you want? I mean, do you uh, have I, the script? I, I mean, can I, we turn oh this into God, something? Only knows who only knows where it is, but um, okay. but I don't know. Someday somebody will write it now that if they listen. I don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> of course, of course, you've but got showrooms and a design yeah. business. But uh, but then well, once but once Paris and I left, Michael, he went on to even bigger, better things. Obviously, for those who know, uh, a few years <laughs> few years later, he was graced yes. with a, a very pretty white house in washington dc um and a very nice set of clients there yes um, yes and... indeed I d- d- despite you and you and parish uh, leaving him he, he did he did seem to survive that and, he did and, okay and after we left yeah. yeah yes it would but have so, been nice to have been able to work on the white house but uh i was long gone by then but so so you and parish went out on your own and and started lucas studios and tell me at, at, at what point did somebody coax you into Ugh. also starting starting yeah. a shop right starting and a shop yeah exactly I mean... we were totally bullied bullied by the brit <laughs> um we had our we had our first little office actually in parishes like converted garage that was a little back house and it was great because there was no overhead she was pregnant with her first kid um, oh, wow. So she was close to she was close to him. Uh, after that, yeah, we partnered up, and a couple months later, I was I was back alone while she was on maternity. And I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> uh, but it was it was so fun to like basically. I was like on the phone, you know, with my foot rocking the rocking the uh, stroller oh. too. So it was really fun. And then once we sort of outgrew that space and felt like we really needed a little bit of street presence, um, sort of we found got lucky and found this really charming office space in west hollywood like down a driveway in this in this sort of weird collection of uh, monterey colonial style cottages nathan turner had his shop in mm. front on the street um which got a lot of great traffic so we so we did that and then the people who lived above us um and it was literally, this was literally like a driveway that you drove back in, like that people, <laughs> like we would pull back and I would be afraid that I, my brakes were going to fail and I was going to pull like right through the large plate glass window uh, of our office every day. My like giant, <laughs> my giant Toyota Sequoia that I had at the time, because of course you, when you get started, you have to have like a big enough car to just be able to shove furniture and to uh, haul everything. Your clients are too uh, cheap to pay for like movers. And <laughs> at that point, I always, we always decided, okay, if you show up with something versus just showing them a picture of something and can actually like haul something into their house and they can see it in person, the odds of them buying it are always so much better. So I would literally be like hauling these massive rugs from the rug uh, store. And then my car would smell like dirty, dirty antique rugs for (laughs) weeks on end. Um, But we would just shove as much into the car and like drive down to our little clients uh, as we could. So we had this great space. And then the people, this like family that randomly lived above moved out and Peter Dunham uh, great designer, LA designer, uh, took the space above because he was wanting to start Hollywood at Home, which is now his big 
very famous showroom. Yes. And um, yes, he you. wasn't running the design office was still being run out of, uh, out of his back house. But he was like, I'm going to start this showroom. It's going to be good for my fabric line and vintage furniture and things like that. And so he started to move in and he goes, now, Lukey, as he calls me, he was like, I really <laughs> think, I really think, uh, you need to start a shop too. So we'll have like a whole collection back here. And I was like, what are you kidding me? I was like, we're just getting started. We don't need to do that. And he kept pushing and pushing. And then the more we thought about it, we had the tendency of like going to auctions and going to vintage stores and buying up furniture uh, that we thought was going to be just an easy shoe. And, you know, oh, let's just buy it. It's great. We'll, we'll definitely push it on the next client. And then we'd buy and buy and buy. And of course, you know, something wouldn't have it wouldn't fit the space right for a client and also we had this warehouse of furniture that was just sitting there costing us money and uh i said well, we do have a lot in storage we actually could sort of make a little bit of a junk shop out of this um so he it, it doesn't take much to convince me to to branch out and do things that cost money that i don't have uh, i'm a, i'm really good at being suckered into those things so uh so sure enough we said yes well and so let's fast forward a, a little bit so uh, harbinger you so you found great success with this with this multi-line model and and you 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 grew out of that space correct me if i'm wrong at almont yard quickly yes, and yes. quickly <laughs> pretty quickly. pretty quickly <laughs> And we did a big move. I, Peter, Peter, of course, was another starter here. He had grown out of his space and right. uh, and had found a new space, really cute and charming, on La Cienega as sort of the La Cienega design quarter was starting the LCDQ, as people uh, know it, um, where there were a lot of shops, Meacox and Therian and downtown and... Um, Patrick Dragonette and those those were all so he sort of moved into that area and then we had run out of space too and about six months later we found a spot and he encouraged us to move over there and expand as well and it was sad to leave to leave Almont um Catherine Ireland had actually taken over his space and had moved in uh up above so that was uh, a great energy too and but we really a colorful like, energy, a colorful sure. energy with lots of wine flowing. Hello, darling, darling, come up and see this new piece I've got, darling. Um, and I can see uh, it all now. And so she had moved in, but we had really we needed more design studio space as well. Uh, we were really crammed and we had terrible light. We were, you know, in sort of this dark little space. We were always going outside to pick paint colors because <laughs> the light was so bad. We were like, God, we are really good designers. I like, hope that looks good. Those colors in the end. <laughs> really hope that trim goes. Uh, so we found an amazing space that needed a ton of work. Uh, and it was a really big, undertaking to to redo it and we went from now i think we had about 750 square feet with the two spaces and we went to a 5000 square foot building for both businesses you know lucas studio took a, a small portion of that but all of a sudden we were going really big um well so and 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 tell me about the 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 dynamic there so so you mentioned lcdq before and and lcdq sort of exploded into this design district at a period where many companies were 
either they were moving out of the Pacific Design Center or people just wanted to be on the street more. They thought that was more in keeping with their brand and their look. Uh, and and the pendulum sort of seems to swing back and and forth. Your your yeah. right, your former yep. boss. We mentioned Michael Smith. He's just sort of moved back into the PDC with, with Sadly, Jasper. Yes, yeah. Is he that how you feel? Sadly, yeah. I mean, it's we we love. I mean, I I sit on the board for the design quarter. Um, right. I did I did for a couple of years when I first moved over there, and then I took some time off, and I'm back on the board. And it's you know definitely swings back and forth but there was a real big push right about the time when peter and i moved um and there were two much bigger showrooms all of a sudden on the street and and a lot of people started to move in scalamandre moved over for a couple of years out of the design center um and there were all these really cute shops opening and it was just a a very california feel to it of not Mm. having to be inside and designers would come to town either locals or you know coming in from houston and dallas and san francisco and um chicago and they sort of get to just park their car and walk the street and be outside and so you know you get people in from new york and chicago in the winter and they'd be like i'm i'm just so happy to be in a sundress and outside (laughs) and you know not the dnd building in new york uh shopping so it was it was really great and there were we you know all the showrooms would have some really fun parties and our Legends event in May was a huge draw. Huge, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, around it's, the block. And- exactly, it started and um, started out small, and then just got bigger and bigger every year, and would be a massive draw for thousands of designers. And so it became this, you know, major shopping street or streets with a, a little bit of Melrose and Melrose Place, and and there have been there have been some closures, and uh, you know. A couple showrooms have just sort of retired. You know, the downtown boys have um, closed up their shop. They're still doing their lot, their their own line online digitally. But uh, you know, they just were sort of tired of doing the 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 grind. And Patrick Dragonette closed his shop because he moved to Palm Springs. So those were two big mm. losses for the street. But I think people people go back and forth. I think Michael probably had got a really good space in the in the Pacific design center and just wanted to get more of the, you know, there are certain people who like only shop in the design center and don't come to the street and then they're the opposite. And then there's your mix of designers who do both. Um, So you just have to sort of see where your business is and what type of crowd a you want or B you're going to get. So um, yeah, he moved back in the design center. I'm, I'm not a big design center kind of guy. I don't think Harbinger's, I've sort of made the the model not that kind of showroom model. It's not very cookie cutter. Cut, cutter. It's not very corporate at all. Um, and I love well, and it's and is that how you perceive the the PDC? You think it's sort of I, more more? I do. I mean, more, I think it's okay. yeah. The showrooms. I mean, obviously there are a couple that are in there that are a little smaller and quirkier, but they're these days they are big sort of serious showrooms that are you know it's like a Neither for Share or a Catman Tau. Right. Holly Hunt, uh, now Jasper, uh, and you know Janice AC, David Sutherland. So they're they're really big monster showrooms, and I like the quirkiness of being on the street and being able to change things up and parking uh, parking's easier and and stuff like that. So I you know in New York, Harbinger New York is much smaller, and 
we're at 200 Lex of the New York Design Center, which is, of course, a big building and a big design center, but it's not, for me, it's not the same energy as the D&D in New York. I think that is still much more corporate. It just doesn't have the energy that 200 Lex has uh, right. to me. I also adore, adore Jim Druckmann, who, who owns 200 Lex, and I think he... Uncle Jim. Yeah. Uncle Jim, as I call him. Uncle Jimmy. <laughs> I don't know if he likes that or not, but, I, but, I, but I'm still going to call him it. You know, the good thing about Jim is he is so ingrained in the design community with Kips Bay and 200 Lex and just all that he does for the designers. And he, he cares about the business, uh, which I think is yeah. not the same for all people who own design all business. big design you know, center all owners design center owners whoever they that. may be whoever sure they may be, who, yeah who are only looking at rent we're taking a quick break to remind designers about the shade stores trade program with special discounts on custom window treatments starting at 20 percent designers enjoy unlimited free swatches and access to exclusive designer collections and com on roman shades drapery and cornices The Shade Store also offers free professional measurements, installation options, and expert design advice whenever you need it. Let the Shade Store take care of window treatments for you. The Shade Store. Custom made simple. Sign up for a trade account today at theshadestore.com slash trade. And now, back to the show. So as you know, recently we had Katie Polsby on the show. She relaunched the heritage wallpaper brand CW Stockwell and the iconic Martinique pattern. Of course, you're very familiar because Harbinger reps the line, but we were talking a lot about how often Martinique is is copied. Is that something that you see out there in the world a lot? I mean, how big a deal is copycatting in the industry? Hers has been a lot. I mean, the Martinique has definitely been. I, I send her pictures every time I see something like in a coffee shop or wherever and she's like yeah no not it and i was like damn but i really thought it was she's like no but thanks thanks a lot well and you know i i can imagine it's very flattering at times but also you're, you're yeah. probably you know it's yeah. it's ne- it's never fun you know but it's like uh i mean we had because i have a collection my harbinger by hand collection uh and we had my probably my most popular piece the the gould coffee table that had been like in-house beautiful and had uh put it in there it was like the front page of their market section years ago when we when we first started it in this really cool like bright charlotte's locks ferron ball orange and sure enough uh serena and lily uh like two years later had a coffee table that was identical and they even did it they did it in two colors like a cream and a bright like deep orange i was like are you kidding me you even did the same color at least just don't do the same color so and i actually got them to stop production on it they were they handled it very nicely uh and i got some money from the sales and they stopped it but i you know they were like we're just, you know, we're so sorry. We just had no idea. You know, I've never seen it, but I said, well, I, I have to be honest. There's, there's no chance that somewhere back in your design studio pinned up on a board is not a tear out of the house. Beautiful of my, (laughs) of that picture. I'm like, it's the exact color. And she goes, you know, we've hired so many people from Williamson, Omaha 
mm-hmm. and restoration hardware on our team. And it's, they said, it's sort of just ingrained in them to, to copy. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's such a sad, sad state of affairs, but it is, it is what it is, but they did the right thing. But of course now it's under like new, new leadership. And they also have a version of the same chair that the other company has, <laughs> uh, the David, the David chair. Uh, so so that doesn't make David happy either. He's like, wait a minute, I'm being knocked, my chair's being knocked off. <laughs> well, I mean, but I can change the name if you want. <laughs> I, I I wonder though, I, it, it is so challenging because so often you go into these meetings and there are all sorts of images that are pinned up on a on a yeah, mood board or not, right, an idea board, and what are the boundaries and, and what are the limitations and how exactly. do we think about and there's, it, right? There's nothing original anymore, which is fine. You know, it's like we borrow stuff from, from everyone. You know, there are times where I fall in love with something that I'm like, oh, wow, that's so amazing. And then a year later, I see the original that I was stupid enough to have, have never known, you know, a famous designer had done that, uh, you know, even down to like, the planter you know there's like a cool ceramic shaped urn or something like that that i think is so edgy and cool and then also i'm like oh da-da-da had done that in the 60s and i just had never (laughs) known that because i don't pay attention enough uh you know it's like basically you can walk through cb2 and everything is is uh borrowed from from something but hey they're doing a good job with it and i can't say i don't buy them for the for the uh, smaller budgeted projects, and or or myself. Well, so so when you come to design furniture pieces, how do you walk that line with with being inspired by things you've seen, right, or or, yeah. or places you've been? And I mean, how do you come to it? I mean, a lot of it is it's usually something totally antique or vintage, and. You know, which then I love like aspects of it, but a lot of times we have to change the scale of it because if it's something really old, usually like it'll be a dining chair that is great for, you know, that small little booty back in the 50s or 40s or something, (laughs) but we have to scale it up and we have to change, okay, this isn't actually very comfortable and we change the pitch a little bit Um and change the finishes too. Like there are a lot of times we'll find something that I love the whole vibe of, but I would rather see it in, you know, a white oak or painted or lacquered or um, we'll try and change enough details. You know, I think technically it's, you only have to change 10% to, to make it. Um, <laughs> is, that, is that the rule? To make it different. I think that's, I think that's okay. sort of the, the, the rule, but you know, it's usually I'm finding things that are, total one-offs and something wacky that there's just something I like the idea of or I'll hold something for a while and be like I haven't really decided what you know I love this like corner of this cabinet Uh, well and and that's when it all seems to to sort of make sense you you find this piece that becomes sort of a jumping off point for you exactly to, to to make something you're not copying it exactly you're 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 finding yeah. what, you, what you love about it and then but you realize you've got to resize and rescale and and that all just seems as it as it should be 
um, it, it's the it's the cookie cutter versions of these that um, that it, yeah. that is a challenge, and I and I get it, and I so often it's it's that line between wanting to make design more accessible, and I, I, I was thinking about it so much in the past few days with the passing of Sir Terence Conran. Yeah. Right, and I, yep. and I was, and I was thinking about sort of the magic of his shops over the over the years, and and all the things that you used to be able to to buy uh, mm-hmm. f- for for relatively little little money, and they were high design, and uh, it there was this wonderful period where he just made design so accessible to people. Absolutely, and now right? so much of that has been copied too because i remember when we were abroad a couple of years ago and we went in the comment shop and i had never, never actually been in i had always wanted to go and i went through and i was so excited uh and sorry dog barking in the background um <laughs> so excited and then i got in there and i was looking through and i was like oh that's cool oh but cb2 has something just like it and it was going through and you started to find all of the things that you really liked but they had already been done again and they were probably less expensive and they were in already in the States. So, you, you know, it's like you go over there and you're like, Oh, is this worth shipping from London right, <laughs> to LA? Right. Is it that special? So it was almost like I went through and I grabbed things that I could just throw in my bag. I was like, yeah. Oh, this is a cool trinket. This is a cool desktop accessory. Uh, so, um, but yeah, it's sad. I mean, he, he, really did start such a specific look and, it's a big and, loss. and 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 got so many people excited about just just good design in 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 general and i i i think it was it was an interesting time when when his uh, his influence could be could be felt and i think a lot of people point to to him as as somebody that uh, that really had them thinking about how to how to market design in in the way that he did yeah, absolutely. We're taking a quick break from the show to hear more about Universal Furniture's plans for fall market. Designers, Universal has an incredible lineup of more than 10 events scheduled this October. From tastemaker Corey Damon Jenkins to design disruptors Lauren Clement and Christian Daw to our own editor-in-chief, Caitlin Peterson. It's a can't-miss lineup of guests. Topics include attracting affluent clients, diversity in design, building e-commerce businesses, and communicating value. Select events will be available to groups of 35 and will be available virtually. An amazing lineup of events is all part of Universal's promise to deliver special perks to designers. Their trade program includes no order minimum, free shipping, online ordering, and dedicated custom support through the design line. To register for events, visit universalfurniture.com slash market events. And if you're shopping, save 20% off your first order of $2,000 or more by using the code TRADEFALL20. That's TRADEFALL20 at universalfurniture.com. And now, back to the show. So, yeah, I mean, we, we touched earlier on the on the sort of pendulum swing between showrooms moving out of the PDC and onto the street. And then I gather the street started to get expensive. And so some companies moved back. Where where does all that sort of stand 
right right now. Where where are sort of other showrooms in their in their thinking about that, and, I, and what's the force that that drives the the change? I think it's it, traffic is a big part. Um, physical traffic of people coming into shop, not uh, cars. Right. Uh, that's that's always a thing in LA. Um, but I I don't know. I you know it's as I was saying earlier. I think design centers are a little bit more of the corporate showroom setup. Um, they're bigger spaces. The Pacific Design Center has a lot of empty showrooms right now. So I'm sure maybe they're giving good deals on rents. But uh, I usually I usually hear that the leases are long and uh, very hard to get out of. So. Right. I prefer the street. I think it, it depends on the kind of showroom that's going in. This uh, La Cienega in that area is definitely a little bit more geared towards the smaller showrooms. We have a lot of really cute spaces that are available right now that are a thousand square feet kind of thing. So if someone wanted to test the waters and do a smaller showroom, then they totally could or even do a design office. Uh you know, there's space behind like Lee Stanton that's open that has a small design studio, but it's a perfect setup for that kind of thing. You're, uh, so, you know, I think has, has, really COVID, has COVID brought the rents down? I mean, for a time, not, the street was sort of getting more and more expensive. I mean, has COVID had an impact yet or not? not hopefully yet? they haven't brought them up. Uh, okay. One of one of our spaces, uh, the landlord was very kind and actually gave a deal without without asking, um, which was sort of unheard of. Uh, <laughs> That's nice. Amazing. Um, I don't know where the rest of them are, but I think it would be, a you'd be able to get a good deal. Uh, you know, it's like we've got a couple big spaces, like the old Stark carpet space is huge. They've now divided that into two, but it is still open. It's a little bit of a funky space, but yet it has parking on the roof. So, you know, I think there's that weird thing of, we all in the design industry in that area are really hoping that more showrooms and shops come in and don't want something like completely random. Uh, you know, it's like we've got, there's a, a wine store that went into the old Hollyhock space, which is strange, um, although I have consumed a lot of wine there uh, in the past. <laughs> so it's been a welcome addition. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, I prefer a tequila bar, um, but it's a wine store that went in, but they call it weed cellars. And for the longest time before I even knew, I would just drive by and I'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe a pot store went in <laughs> to Hollyhock space. So then I learned it has nothing to do with weed. It is purely, I guess the owners were like, oh yeah, you know, it's like the marijuana uh, business is so big right now that we just figured we'd call it weed cellars because it would get more people in because they would think that maybe it had to do with something. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? You, you chose the name of your business based on a different business being popular? <laughs> and, I mean, then, and then like... the people that want weed are showing up and what I, are you I doing? Mean, so I was like, should I, should I change Harbinger to be like porn furniture or just like porn hub, uh, porn house? I don't know. I'm like, Hepinger. get people in? Yeah, Hepinger. <laughs> so God only knows people are doing, you know, People are doing wacky things like that to try and uh, to try and just get people in the door. But you know, hey, we've got a wine store now, so when we when we do events, would they can you know maybe host it or or sponsor it and and show off their wines at the thing. But there are a lot of really great spaces that are small and quaint, and I could see 
you know, even like a big fabric line, not a big fabric line, but like a new fabric line that wants to do a quirky little showroom of their own and be able to right. sort of show their right. own space, you know, you've got a good online presence, but then you have somewhere to at least show it, but maybe it's just you and you're not in a multi-line setup so that you can, you know, make a little bit more money on your own. Uh, but have it like Vutsa is a good example um, that George opened. He pulled out of a multi-line showroom and opened his own space. Unfortunately, it's not in the in the LCDQ uh, quarter. It's down over in a in a great another little smaller area of design where like Lawson Fenning and Gallery Half, right, uh, and the window um, and the new Hoster Hustler Burrows. Is so he's over in that little nook in a you know tiny cute little boutique space, but it's only his wallpaper and fabric. So you know he's what, sort and, of and do you have a sense that. of of how that's working for him? Because I'm so curious, and and you and I have talked about this in the past. Yeah. Th- this whole notion of so many of these companies, whether it's Kyle Bunting pulling out of showrooms or crane home or there's been an array of them recently that have all decided to pull out of multi-line showrooms either to just be online or to try and do something on their own what's your what's your sense of that i mean even even katie polsby our our friend from cw stockwell Mm -hmm. i mean she's she's such a fan of yours and wants to sort of be in harbinger right Well, no, but I mean, she talked. She talked very frankly about sort of the the energy and the dynamic in in your showroom showrooms that are that's sort of hard to replicate. And she she's not sure she wants to be in other showrooms. And right. and, and a lot of these lines are are pulling out of multi lines. And and what do we make of that? And and what's it's your so sense? So personal. I think it's so personal for each line, and it depends on how big they are, and or how boutique they are, and what kind of overhead they're looking for. You know, it's it, it's like someone like Zach Prefera of Zach and Fox is a good friend. You know, he had been in in multi-line showrooms and and several. I mean when he first started he was he was with me at Harbinger when he had like six designs. He had like, you know, twelve SKUs right. or something like that. Yeah. And he started with me and then the more he grew, he would sort of test out some other showrooms in LA. Uh, and then he became so big that he was sort of a perfect shoe in for neither for share in LA. And it, you know, it made, uh, I would love to still have him. I think Peter would still love to have him, but you know, it's, it's a good mix for him to be in neither, but in New York, it made more sense for him to have his sort of own world of Zach and Fox. And so he did his own space and it's a beautiful showroom and he it's invested a, a lot. Stunning showroom. Yeah, yeah. And it really, yeah. it's cause his, his line is a perfect one where you really sort of are in the world of Zach and Fox, the way he does right. his renderings and his his photo shoots that he does all over the world. Like, I think that's great. I think Vutsa is sort of a perfect example. George is definitely like the world of Vutsa. You know, it's, it's hard to yeah. just throw Vutsa in next to, you know, a, a plain, a solid linen line um, when you've got a giant wallpaper of red lips uh, and stuff. <laughs> so it's, I think that's part of it. I hope people stay in the multi-lines. I think it's a really good way of mixing the lines in too, so that designers can see see how they can play 
with other companies and other designs. And that's what I always strive for at Harbinger. It's like, I think you and I have talked about this, that whenever I get a new line and they're like, okay, great. So I'll have like, you know, 200 square feet to myself over here in this corner. I'm like, no, you are going to be mixed in with everything else. Like the fabric (laughs) obviously will have its own section, but if it's like a furniture collection or lighting line, like it's all going to be mixed in and I'm going to take a CW Stockwell fabric and upholster a sofa and I'm going to have it in next to a chair that's upholstered in, you know, a Scottish tartan uh, from one of those lines and it's all going to be mixed together. Not everybody does it that way. So, you know, I think it really just depends on, on the, what kind of mix they want to be in. I hope not everybody starts to go just digital and just online or just on Instagram because sure it's a great way to see it, you know, see a little bit of it every day and have that instant thing. But you people still really want to, come in and see it in person and touch it and feel it and mix. Well, mix so what, so together. one of the big, one of the big challenges for, for a lot of companies and, and certainly Kyle Bunting talked about this was sort of the, the regional control that showrooms yeah. wanted, right? So if, if, if they were in your showroom and I don't know how you designate your, your territory per se, but it that was each line. It, it does. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on where, I mean, you know, I have lines that might only be with me on the entire, like I'm the only one on the West coast, um, or there are lines that are repped in San Francisco. So then I've only got Southern California, but if they're not in Arizona and Nevada, then I can have that. So it totally depends on every line of where basically where they are already. But so many companies seem to recognize, especially now during this COVID time, that they need to have this strong e-commerce presence. And then what do they do with the customers that come to them? I mean, Katie made such a point of saying, well, of course, I'm going to give the orders to to Joe if they're in that territory and same thing with New York and wherever. But in general, that was always one of the one of the challenges. The, the other challenge was, as you were saying, and, and, and Zach is sort of a perfect example, Multi-line showrooms always used to be thought of as sort of this this incubator for for small lines to to come in and sort of get their get their sea legs a little bit yeah, and yeah. right and and sort of grow the brand awareness and then often if, if if they really did well they would they would sort of outgrow the the showroom that they were in and and yep. maybe they moved on right and did their own thing but I I wonder if that same sort of mindset with regards to how the business works today is is still in in place. I think it is hopefully it still stays that way because I agree that small lines sure it's it's great to just have a presence and start and get people seeing it and thinking about it on Insta, you know, an Instagram or something like that. But you do need to you need to sort of invest in a showroom setting in my mind uh, because it really does get it out there, gets it in front of, especially in big cities. I think it's like one thing where Instagram gets it out and like people are thinking, oh, that's a pretty, I should use that fabric someday who might not be designers. But to get it in front of the working designers in a city like LA and New York, 
that's the best way to all of a sudden, you know, because when they're out shopping for fabric, they're out shopping for fabric because they probably have a meeting in two days and they're scheming right then and there right. and they need the sample and they're going to go put it in their schemes and it's going to make it into the house kind of thing versus like, oh, let's print that out and put it on the inspiration board um, for, I love, I love that. Someday I'll do something with that. So I think there's a mix of that. Um, I think to your first point about, do you in the big cities like Katie uh, with CW Stockwell kind of thing? Like, yes, in New York and LA, she's with me. And if someone calls randomly from you know Orange County and says, "Oh, I want to do that," she is great about saying, "Well, we're represented at Harbinger, so you you go through them." Right. I think the big thing about that, and why I always explain to the vendors when they're coming on board and where our territory is, and you know, hey, if you get a call. You, you really have to send it to us is we're, inve- we're investing a lot of money in these brands and taking them on and making them part of our showroom family. So right. it's, you know, we don't make a ton on lines like fabric and wallpaper. We make a small commission, but we're, you know, we're the ones doing all the paperwork we're doing. We'll follow up with the client when then the owners of the company can be working on the other territories that they don't have representation in or, you know, working on new designs and doing all that. So we're taking that off their hands. Yes, we're we're getting a cut for that, but it's all part of, you know, it's part of business. It's, you know, it's the same thing with the design of trying to, you know, on the design side of it, trying to explain to a client why we take a markup, even when it's something from restoration hardware uh, that they could afford it themselves. I'm like, well, you you didn't decide to design the whole house from restoration hardware catalog yourself. <laughs> you you hire a designer who's the one who's going through and going, no, well, that scale of that sofa doesn't actually fit in your house. Or, you know, we've ordered that table before and the finish is terrible. Um, so we know not to order that one. We know to order this one. Uh, so it's always trying to explain sort of the worth, our worth as a designer or our worth as a showroom of what we bring to the table and what we can bring to the line of how we show it off and we can get it in front of these designers that might never have known about you before. It's funny because in a way I sort of, er, earlier we were talking about you were working for Michael Smith for about three years and and Mm -hmm. that felt like it it was time for you to move on. And I feel like with lines in in multi-line showrooms many of them seem to be leaving or sort of flying the coop if you will much sooner or, or, or earlier sort of in their longevity than they than they well, used it's to the millennials uh, well, <laughs> it's that it's that millennial life of not being patient well that's what it that's what it seems like it yeah. seems like a lot of these lines they just they just want to go out on their own so quickly rather than really putting in the time with a with a real multi-line showroom that can that can grow their business back in the day it used to be i mean and and i don't know if there were any hard and fast numbers but it, it used to be oh if if i was doing a million dollars in a territory i might think about whether i should really have my own presence there or or make some other kind of a move but i can't imagine for many of these lines that are going out on their own they have anything like that kind of revenue no i think it's i think it's just easier these days too cuz there's so many more ways to market yourself directly um, to the consumer uh, with social media and all of that so it's it's so much more tempting to be able to think oh could this work can i can i do it myself and is it just easier and less expensive to control? You know, it's like sampling for 
a fabric line or a wallpaper line is a fortune. I always yeah. know. I always feel so guilty when we ask for like, when we ask for more samples, we, we really try and make sure that we're only asking for the ones that are really, really popular. So we're not just saying, you know, send us 30 samples of this fabric that might rarely get picked because um, it's fortune. So yeah. if they can be in control of that themselves, great. Um, I just, I just think it's really good to be mixed in with other people. Um, and it's a way to show stuff off. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really different when someone can walk into a showroom and see a wallpaper that is really specific and not just on a small wing board, but installed in a section of the showroom on the walls or in the window. And you're like, Oh my God, that's what that looks like with the pattern. That's amazing. Like I need to, I need to order that for this client. Um, so that's something that you can get from a showroom or seeing a fabric upholstered, uh, you know, usually the, the things that are the most popular that people are asking for the samples are, or are the things that I've chosen to like go on a sofa or go on a chair right. or go on a wall. Yeah. Um, Cause people are, are registering it. I, I, I hope they will forever be be important, r- regardless of how good everyone gets at the digital side of their business. Right. There, there is still nothing like the, the touch and feel, as you say, with with fabric and furniture and, and, and seeing wallpaper installations. And it, it's it's exciting that some of the digital tools are, are getting quite advanced, yep. but but there's there's still nothing like like seeing things in person let's let's shift gears in the in the few minutes that we have left and 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 talk about the the design business for you right right now so Mm -hmm. tell me sort of what what what's going on for you project wise and and sort of these these past six months and everything that's been going on what are what are clients asking you for and how are they dealing with all of this and and what sort of direction do you find yourself going in as a result of all of this? It's interesting. I mean, we've been lucky enough. It hasn't really affected any of our sort of bigger jobs um, as far as like construction and everything. The nice thing in California was that construction did not halt Um, during COVID. It's like the clients are, they're all just in their house with nothing to do other than stare at their stuff. So right. they, you know, it'll, they'll have a tendency to start seeing, you know, flaws or what they think might be a flaw kind of a thing. Sure. Um, because there's nothing else to do. I did have one old client of like 15 years uh, old and the house was sort of in really good shape still. They, they don't wear and tear it. Uh, and they finally were like, all right, the living room let's brighten things up it's it's a little too moody after all this time of course the upholstery was all in like perfect shape because they're so well behaved um <laughs> i was like oh god it almost seems like a waste of money to reupholster this but yeah let's let's do a refresh and that was after we were we were doing that sort of their guest house so i think anyone is everyone is just looking for something to look at differently i mean david and i redid we ended up wallpaper in three rooms and in our house during this time really uh, with some new with some harbinger uh wallpapers we were so sick of well like the little room that i sort of have is my like sitting room slash closet kind of thing that really should be a guest room it was the one of the only rooms that we had never really done anything to when we moved in and i couldn't take it anymore because that became my my uh, quarantine office and so we redid that and of course i stole some furniture from harbinger and uh on on loan quote unquote um <laughs> and sure enough you know i posted a picture of uh the sofa that i had borrowed and somebody ended up buying it so now i'm sitting in you know two other chairs that uh, aren't 
so the room looked pretty for a minute and now I had to tear it apart because the sofa sold. Um, so, but we, yeah, we did a wallpaper in the bathroom. We did a wallpaper in Dave's office. Uh, so that's been fun too. It really does make you when you're sitting at home all the time, it makes you uh, rethink things. Well, so um, do you think it makes people sort of more adventurous? Do you, do you feel like your clients are, are, are willing to, to do things in a way that that they weren't they were more risk averse in, in the past and, and maybe they're more open. As, as much about adventure but i think they start to see they start to see their spaces in a different way um and utilize you know maybe they they were wary to get some furniture in that one space that was like eh, we're gonna wait to see how we use it i get that a lot you know, they're clients who are going from a much smaller house to all of a sudden building their sort of dream house and they've got too much space and they don't know what to do with it. And of course, we have ideas of what the room should be, but they haven't lived there. So um, a lot of times they'll do, you know, 80% of the house, but there's always like a room or two that they're like, oh, we're going to wait and see how we use the space. And now all of a sudden, you know, that room might have just become where the kids are all doing their homeschooling um right. so i've had a client you know send pictures of of a uh, mock-up setup that they've done where all the kids all of a sudden have these you know cheap desks and they're that's that's what they're doing uh with that space for now and and now they're thinking okay let's let's do this for real let's you know let's redo this and set this up as um somewhere that anybody in the house could go and work in and be and be comfy um is, is, we is have one the, client who just has who's who's now pregnant uh a full quarantine baby uh and we thought they were done so now we're now we're turning an old playroom into a nursery uh because because whoops they spent a little too much time together uh, <laughs> and and now there's a fourth child coming along um well and we we had all predicted that early on right that there was going to be this big oh, yeah. baby boom coming out of this i, I mean we'll, sure. we'll see if there is is there the is there the big migration in in LA that that seems to be happening in New York and on along the east coast i mean everyone fleeing new york city and so many designers telling me that there's there's no more houses to be bought on nantucket or these these various, seriously right? I know back, I mean, back east there really aren't bellport and all those areas there yeah um, it is crazy the real estate market was nuts um palm springs the real estate market is insane like you you literally can't find a house out there that's not just frightening uh frankly bad i mean i it went on Redfin uh, like two months ago just to see uh not that we were really looking and needed a thing but it, i had heard so much of it was going so fast and it's scary how many it was like all little blue little blue houses that were like just sold march 18th april 20th you know it was all within three months everything was gone um so there's i think in la it's a little bit of more of a migration just for somewhere to get away Right. Or to have a project or something, or you know, buy something that they can then rent out for the people who are wanting to to get away. I think the Airbnb and all that has become a a big thing for here. I mean, in the city, it it wasn't quite as scary for us with the COVID because we're you know everybody mostly has a house or has a yard, so we were able to go outside. It's not like we were living vertically in an in an apartment building or uh, you know set up like that so we we really could still 
get out. But there are definitely people who have bought up in Santa Barbara and Montecito and Palm Springs and uh, Joshua Tree is is taking off that whole area. Um, but, uh, you know, so there are little projects there, but I think a lot of people are also just buying the property and then maybe not really redoing it yet, but they invested, they got it. They feel like they, they got something that they now have, they have an investment property and okay, what are we, maybe they'll, they're just going to go and live. I was talking to a real estate agent out in Palm Springs um, that I follow on Instagram and always like all the houses that he's selling. <laughs> and he had just, he had posted one that he had just sold. Um, and it was like frighteningly uh, furnitured in it. And I said, oh, did, did somebody buy it furnished? And they said, yeah. I said, oh, good, give them my name. And they're like, <laughs> no, they actually like a lot of the stuff. I think they're just going to keep it for like a year and live. And I was like, oh, God, it's like the worst nightmare. I'm like, that's not the client we need. We need the client who we hate bought it furnished just to get it. <laughs> just to get the deal through and wants to and redo wants to everything redo it. i mean it made it made golden girls uh setup look uh incredibly <laughs> chic um it was really frightening there was like a sheared tufted sofa like big 80s oh, no. arm with the oh i was like all right well they'll learn um <laughs> they'll, they'll come to me in time yeah, hopefully they'll come in time uh, but we you know i think a lot of people just they wanted to get away somewhere with a pool yeah. It was like you yeah. know that spring summer thing. We were desperate for to put in a pool here at our house the whole time. Now so now it's all over, and we're thank God we saved the money and didn't do it. But <laughs> um, yeah, so hopefully, I, you know, I don't think it's as bad as the East Coast um, as far as the fleeing. Um, right. But you know, all these people on the East Coast now, hopefully, they're going to still be coming back to New York. But now they've got a vacation home, um, and hopefully, they can afford it in the end. To have, to have well, invested exactly, in that. exactly. I mean, I hope people haven't overextended themselves, but it 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 seems like it seems like there's a there's a tremendous opportunity for the design community, perhaps for for years to to come, coming yeah. out of all of this. And and yeah, and who I hope thought? so. Yeah, I mean, and I and I hope that that will that will be good for you from both the design side of the business and the and the showroom side of the business. So yes, I, hopefully I you're brilliantly so. positioned. I know, but for now, I think it's. Most of our design work is still on our sort of normal client thing, but we definitely yeah. are we are looking at how to use the house differently now. You know, it's certainly the type of thing where when we're looking at new plans and looking at rooms and being like, okay, you know, because a lot of clients we'd always be like, oh, okay, well, where are you going to put like a desk, like in this, in this bedroom should we have one of the bedside tables it, you know it's tight and it's a guest room but should we have one of the bedside tables be like a writing desk so that you know your guests if they want to put a laptop up or something and they're always like no we don't need that they're they're not staying that long <laughs> but now it's like <laughs> okay like let's make sure that there is somewhere that people could actually work from home in yes. you know in a couple places in the house uh, and make it adaptable to that because you never know uh, when they're going to need that um, well, it certainly seems like like that may maybe forever part of our of our thinking. Yeah, with regards I to think this. so. I mean, right? a lot of people I mean, have figured out that they don't yeah. have to go into the office all the time. Yeah, yeah. No, that 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 is going to change people tremendously, and I think people are are pretty darn excited to not have to go into the office as much as they they yeah, were. Yeah, although right? they might start they might start missing it. I mean, I miss it. You know, it's that weird. No, thing. I, like, I do too. I mean. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I don't miss going to the office and working, but I do miss per se, like, but... seeing people. Yeah, 
No, I, I, I very much feel the same way. Joe, thank you so much for making the time. I, I really appreciate Absolutely. it. It was great to talk to you. So good to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Take care, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, please visit us at businessofhome.com. If you'd like to share feedback or get in touch, email podcast at businessofhome.com. This show was produced by Fred Nicholas and Marina Felix. I'm Dennis Scully. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll see you next week.